Welcome to the Farm Team Podcast, presented by HockeyAI.tech. I'm your host, Elliot Sheen. I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that this episode was recorded in Calgary, Alberta, on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Nations, which includes the Siksika, the Pekani, the Kainai, and we also acknowledge the Sutina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, the Métis Nation, and all the people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. Thank you. All right. In today's episode of the Farm Team Podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by a lifelong friend of mine, Robbie Shaw. Rob is currently a registered clinical counselor in the Okanagan Valley, serving the cities of Kelowna, West Kelowna, and Penticton. Prior to moving to British Columbia, Rob pursued his education in our hometown and graduated from the University of Lethbridge with a Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology and a Master's of edu Education in Counseling Psychology. Much of our discussion today will revolve around his important research for his master's thesis titled, What's the Mindset? An Investigation of Junior Hockey Players' Attitudes Towards Sports Psychology. Rob and I grew up playing hockey and going to school together. We were fortunate to play on many of the same teams as we've progressed through minor hockey and ultimately split ways as we advanced our careers to the junior ranks. Rob played one season in the Alberta Junior Hockey League for the Calgary Canucks before joining the Fernie Ghost Riders the following season, where he retired as a champion of the 2007-2008 Kootenai International Junior Hockey League, also known as the KI. Upon retirement, Rob enrolled in the University of Lethbridge and developed a fierce passion for education. And I'm extremely proud to see the work he's done and continues to do. His experience as a student, player, coach, and mentor has gifted him with an extensive knowledge base of transitions athletes go through, and I hope this conversation can provide actionable insight into the world of sports psychology. And with that, I'd like to introduce my great friend, Rob Shaw. What Rob? an intro. Yeah, you like that, Unreal. Right? Spent oh, thanks for having for... me, buddy. Yeah, no, Rob, it's an absolute honor. I think... Uh, yeah, it's polished. You like that intro, eh? I feel like it, it adds to like the conversation <laughs> kind of what we want to talk about and um, you know, it kind of prepares you a little bit too. So, mm -hmm. but the, the other side of it too, is I'm extremely fortunate mm -hmm. to have you on because uh, so one of the themes of the upcoming episodes I want to put together on this podcast is the whole idea of the athlete transition, um, and, you know, kind of highlight people like yourself mm -hmm. who have went through that path. Um, Cause I, again, I put myself in the shoes mm -hmm. of a 14 year old to a 17 year old. And anytime you could hear stories of, you know, a 20 year old or even upwards of 30 year old, having gone through a similar path, you always find similarities, right? So that's the whole conversation mm -hmm. I kind of want to bring up today. And, you know, that's the goal of this whole podcast. Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's cool what you're doing. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, sweet. Yeah. Let's, so let's start with that, I guess. Uh, Let's get right into, you know, the experience of growing up. Like I said, we, we played on teams together. So, yeah, my experience is very similar to yours. And, you know, it's kind of cool to get your perspective, you know, 20 years later. So, Right. Yeah, I mean, we were pretty much side by side, either playing with each other or against each other every single year, right, coming up. Yeah. Um, I think our first chance to play together was in Adam AA, I believe. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we had a lot of fun in those early years. Um, but I think for me, kind of like what sticks out from my minor hockey is definitely that Bantam AAA team that we played together on. And then that following year with the 15s is like, that's really the core group of guys that, you know, I have those lifelong bonds with. And that's really my fondest memories of minor hockey. Um, we had some pretty good teams there and we played with a lot of good players. And that was, uh, that was some high level hockey we were playing there. And I, I think, I don't know if I can speak for you, but I think after that year in minor hockey, it was a, it was a little rocky. It was like, I went down to double A the next year. wasn't really used to being there. wasn't very happy, broke a, broke a collarbone. Right. And then the following year we, we played mid triple A together. And that was a bit of a gong show to, to, to put it one way, because I mean, I think we went like, Oh, and 10 in the first 10 games. And then our coach ended up getting fired three quarters yeah. of the way through the season. It was just like, it was pretty brutal. So it was a little rocky there at the end of the minor hockey career. That's for sure. No, you're exactly right. Like those band of triple A years to the 15s. And I'm sure we'll get into some stories about that, but that was definitely the most pivotal time for us. Right. Cause that's when you're now playing, mm -hmm. you know, growing up in Lethbridge. Now you're playing into the Calgary and you got the Northern division as well. So uh, you're kind of now comparing yourself mm -hmm. to some of those kids and, you know, you always hear stories about, 
studs up there and all that kind of stuff. So once you do go on the ice with them and you start competing against them and then packing the Henderson barn, you know, even at that age, it was, oh, yeah. we had a good fan base. So it was very awesome playing those, oh, uh, those first years. It was. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. And I mean, like in that Bantam triple year, you kind of start to like realize what level you're at when the dub graph comes around and some of the names that are going, like, I'm pretty sure that Jonathan Taves was the first overall selection in our dub draft. And so it's like, this is a pretty good crop of hockey players here and we're involved in that. And it was well, kind of exciting. For let, me. let me ask you that. Where did a little fun fact, uh, who was Taser drafted to? Do you remember? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't recall. And I mean, this is my memory we're going off here, so I could be off, but I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive that he was the number one pick that year. He, yeah. But then he went, could be memory. He went to NCAA though. That's where he went. He went to North Dakota for going i think he never played he never but, played uh, yeah they, they secured his right somebody might have to fact check us on that yeah no kidding hey no but yeah so then we moved into <laughs> to the 15s and but, but i mean guys off guys off our team got guys off our team got drafted to the dub there yeah and like it was like okay geez like then guys are going to, to junior camp and things like that and i think i went to junior camp that after that 15 year old year but also during that, I think after that 15-year-old year as well, I was contacted by a, a guy I'll probably bring up later. His name's Dan Price. Yeah. At that time, he was a scout for the Regina Pats. And, you know, sitting at home on a Sunday afternoon and phone rings on the landline, and I pick it up, and it's like, oh, I'm scout here from Regina Pats, so-and-so. I'm just like, what the heck? Like, this is crazy. Like, pretty big moment for me. And I remember Absolutely. telling my dad, like, hey, dad, yeah, there's a dub scout on the phone. He'd like to talk to you. My dad was like, no, there isn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's like what are you talking about, Robbie? Yeah, like, I swear, pick up the phone. And on the land, my parents yeah. were thrilled, and it, it was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, it's you know, you're 15 years old, and you get that first phone call, and it kind of puts you on a path or an idea of kind of where you want to go. So now it gives you a goal to stride towards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it opens your mind, and I think even for me though, I didn't really believe that I could play at that level. But uh, yeah. definitely, like, it put that bug in my ear where I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a chance. Did you talk to any Alberta junior teams around that time? Yeah, like, I was going to camps and stuff like that. Like, I went to the Brooks Bandits. Yeah. And I was getting letters and stuff like that. But it was, like, it was a letter in the mail as opposed to, like, a dub scout, like, really calling you and, and, and kind of pumping you up, like, kind of making you feel like you got a shot to play in the dub here, kid. Like, you know, I think you're, you're pretty good. And, and I mean, <laughs> for our experience, Al, um, <laughs> we didn't really get pumped up too much by our coaches back then. We were kind of on the lower row, uh, lower, lower rungs there. So for sure. Yeah. Having that guy call you and you wonder how you got your phone number and think it's a prank call kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, that's all. So then you had, I, I remember you went to the, was it the fall camp or the spring, spring and fall camp? And you had a pretty good showing. And then when you came, you came back and then we played in, did you go to double A then? Yeah, I came back from there and that was the coming back and trying out for mid triple A. So yeah. kind of like feeling like pretty high. And then next thing you know, you're knocked right back down to earth playing mid double A calling everything into question again and feeling like not as good as you thought you might've been for a half a second there. Yeah, but at the same time, too, it's like, you know, we do have one more year of, of minor hockey, but you're kind of a development year if you have to do it. And it was a pretty good season. I remember playing on that team for a good portion of the year. I think half the year I was uh, playing double with you guys. But it was it's an awesome year to develop as a player because then you're going to get lots of ice time and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it was, and we had a really good team, but uh, I unfortunately broke my collarbone that year. And so – I missed a lot of playing time and yeah. I mean, you've had shoulder injuries before they're hard to come back from. And uh, so I just, I didn't have a very solid year. And, yeah. uh, and then, like I say, going into that major triple A year, like it was really like, it wasn't a very good, wasn't a very good last couple of years. And I was, I was pretty ready to pack it in. Like I, I, oh, yeah. I, I was looking like the end of my career at that point. Yeah. So what led you to then kind of pursue it afterwards that triple A year? Well, I had already committed to some camps in the spring and I can remember pretty vividly like going to my parents' room and being like, I don't want to go to these camps. Like, I don't want to play hockey. I'm done. Like that was that year stocked. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm ready for something else. No, no idea what that was, Yeah. but my parents were kind of like, well, you've already said you're going to these camps, so you can go to them. 
And, uh, and then if you still don't want to play after that, then, then we'll, we'll talk about it then. And, uh, I ended up obviously going, I went to Calgary and it was like another moment, kind of like when that scout called after the first skate out there in Calgary, um, I was pulled aside by uh, assistant coach and head scout and they're like, yeah, we love you. We want you to play here. Um, we'd love to sign you, sign your white card right now. And again, I go tell my dad and he's like, no, they didn't say that. <laughs> I'm like, I swear that they want to sign me. I swear. No, I mean, that's awesome. Your dad, again, must have been surprised and extremely proud of you because it's a, it's a mm-hmm. huge, huge honor to make that team coming out of um, AAA. And, you know, Calgary is not too far away from growing up in Lethbridge. So, you know, it's, a, it's local enough where your parents can come still watch you play, but now you're wearing a half shield and playing 64 games a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was exciting. And, it, you know, the, the kind of the, the shitty thing was the next weekend was Okotoks spring camp. And I was supposed to go there as well, but – since I signed my card, I didn't go. And I mean, obviously that's where you ended up playing. And yeah. it's kind of funny to think of like how different things could have been because, you know, playing in Calgary as close as it was to home, it was definitely not that small town junior hockey feel. It was like, you're in a big city and you you, you don't really, you don't feel like anyone kind of knows who you are, really cares about your team. And I had a really hard time making that transition into junior and just from like a lifestyle perspective of like, what, how do I spend my days? Like I'm not in high school anymore. I don't really want to work. I just want to play hockey, but it really isn't enough to fill your time, especially when you're living in a city like that. So uh, I just wasn't very conducive to my success uh, at that level. Yeah. And I vividly remember, you know, playing in Okotoks and you being in Calgary and thinking like, where did you live in Calgary? I actually lived in the Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. It was like, it was like a 45 minute drive to like the rink every day. And all my buddies lived in the South, which is like an hour drive. So it was like, I did not like it. Yeah, because I remember thinking, you know, you're playing in Calgary, and to me, Calgary is still a big city, but I'm on the outskirts in Okotoks, just thinking about like driving an hour each way, basically, right? And winters in Calgary are not too forgiving, so uh, that can create a, that can create a unique experience. I feel like you'd be like that uh, jungle to jungle, like kind of lost, right? And it's again, mm-hmm. it's first year away from home, and there's a lot of new things happening and a lot of excitement, but at the same time, it's a daunting experience. It is, and I think. I think the big thing is like for junior, what makes it nice for guys and makes it doable is that it's a small community and you usually are brought into a nice family system where it's like, you're an extension of their family. You're almost kind of, it's like a nice step from high school. But for me, uh, the family I was with, they, they didn't have any young kids and what the way practice was, I was never home for dinner. So I never formed a bond at home and I was never connected to like the city. So I was kind of just like, you know, felt like I was just out there on my own kind of. For sure. It's a very good point you make too. And I, you know, I'm glad we're having this conversation because your perspective of these things, you know, open up some, some ideas for me, but you know, having that billet structure to kind of go home and provide that home away from home in a way. And, you know, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that go above and beyond to provide and make sure you feel that security, I guess. So if you don't have that, mm-hmm. and it's just one of those fortunate things that the team kind of assigns those billets and you go from there and your, your parents kind of just put a lot of faith too. And in, in those billets, but like I said, 99% of those billets are, are awesome people and want to provide that for yeah. get those kids to the next Absolutely. Level. And, and, and there, it was nothing against my billets either. It just like was yeah, this, sure. this, their family structure and what they, when they had dinner and when our practice was kind of thing. But, you know, to kind of link this to where we'll go in, with respect to the sports site, cause that was a hard time for me to yeah. not be supported. I felt like by my team, by my coaching staff as well. And when you're trying to make a team, it's like, you kind of don't go to confide in the coach or talk to him about how hard it is to live there. You're just like trying to put your best foot forward and show him that you're, you can play. So yeah. I kind of felt like I didn't really have anyone to talk to on the team and I didn't really feel at home at my billets and I was kind of like lost in the city. So the whole thing was just like, man, it was tough. And then yeah. you get into what is a higher level of hockey is like, and for me as like a third, fourth line guy, I'm just like at the edge of my ability here. Like I, I'm a bubble guy at best. And so I need everything working for me for me to be successful. And so with a few things, like I felt like weren't working for me, I think it made it that much harder. And then you yeah. start dealing with things like healthy scratches and you really start questioning like, what the heck am I doing here? Yeah. It's a very valid point. Right. And then, like you said, if the coach is not supporting you too, and you kind of are on the bubble there and you kind of explain to what would happen there. You got, you got ended up getting traded to Thunder Bay or something, didn't you? No, it was like, I, uh, I got a pretty good start, you know, I was playing okay, but once those healthy scratches started coming, I started getting yeah. pretty disenfranchised and 
honestly, like probably a little bit defiant. And uh, the coach there was a pretty old school coach at the time. And so it was, it was definitely not a player's coach. So we just kind of like, I feel like I just kept diverging further and further away from the right track there. And uh, apparently what he, what he had told me is that he put me on the wire like a week before, um, I don't know, like the deadline at Christmas to like let guys go. And he said he didn't hear anything. So when that date came, he just released me, which was oh, really tough too. Right? Yeah. It was like December 1st. And you're not really thinking about getting released. At least I wasn't. And so I was like, okay, well now I got to go back home with my tail between my legs and like tell everyone that, you know, I got cut from my junior A team. It was, it was a tough pill to swallow. And it's like, and where do I go now? Like, what do I do? Yeah. Right. Cause that it's, it's funny because you and I kind of go back to Lethbridge with a tail between our legs in a way, but we kind of reconnect there and go back to school. That was like our next move. Right. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah right yeah. and yeah but looking, so I, I looking still, back I had no idea what I was doing but I was just yeah. like you know what I, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I mean it put us on a, on a good path but we, we, we both kind of jump into school there and I actually got a call yeah. a couple weeks after I was back to go uh, play for Fernie the head coach from Fernie called me and I was so kind of disenfranchised from what had happened in Calgary I turned that down which, oh really like, again in hindsight I was like man that wasn't a great decision, but that was kind of how burned I kind of shows how burned I was at the time. So I was like sure. back at CCH high school, taking bio 30 just to upgrade for, I don't even know what selling pizzas for Panagos driving around the North side. Like I was, I was pretty lost at the time uh, to put it, uh, to put it gently. Yeah. It's funny looking back too. Right. And what do you, what ultimately spurred you to go retake bio? Was it a dream of maybe going to university one day? Honestly, it's hard for me to even like connect with what I was thinking at that time. I honestly, it was probably so I didn't have to get a job. Like, yes. I was just like delaying the inevitable, like dragging my feet, you know? Yeah. Cause Oh, I went back and took math again. So I think having you there was Ooh. definitely kind of what kept me into there too. Cause I remember after the first class, I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done. I'm, I'm out of here too. Like I don't right. know, I'm back at school. But I remember yeah. Whitney, Whitney Shackleford was there too. And she's like, no, stay in this class with me. And I was like, okay, you know, Ooh fuck let's do that and then <laughs> right, sure. you were, yeah you were there and I knew I needed to do it again because I did so shitty on my SAT on the math side that I needed to relearn it and luckily uh Miss LaRue she was our, our teacher there and she I ended up getting like 400 points higher on my SAT so it was a huge pivotal moment looking back for me mm-hmm. yeah so I can hear like in you like you're oriented at that time towards NCAA and there's like a path that you're kind of you know you're working at I was not on that path at all. I, I really didn't know where I was going to go. I, I think I thought at the time I needed that bio 30 to go to university if I ever was going to do that. Yeah. But I didn't even like, I wasn't even planning to. Um, I actually ended up enrolling in college the following year and I went to school for like a month and yeah. I was just like, I wasn't, I wasn't listening. I wasn't ready to be in school. I still kind of was thinking about hockey and it was around that time that a buddy, a mutual friend of ours, Derek Bishop, yeah. who was playing in Fernie, uh, reached out to me and was like, Rob, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm in college. Like, I hate it. It sucks. He's like, come play hockey, drop out. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, this team <laughs> is advice. Fernie's the best place to play. We're, we're, we're awesome. Our team has money. Like it's so much better than Calgary. He had played with me uh, the year yeah. before with the Canucks and you know, it didn't take long for me to be like, you know what? I couldn't care less about this college course I'm in. Why don't I just go give it another shot? And uh, so I actually cold called the coach was basically like this is who I am this is what I want to do um I'm gonna you know I'm gonna come out there and I'd love to like have a skate with the team and uh fortunate for me the coach was like all right yeah sure give it a go so yeah. like, I packed up my car fuck yeah I... headed out to Fernie and was just like that's and it was just like totally my mind made up and I remember I went up to the office and it's kind of cool in the Fernie rink there the coach's office is like in the upper back corner of the rink and it kind of looks over the rink and so we're up there and he's like so you know uh you know looked over your stats and stuff and you know it looks like you're you know pretty good player. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, if you don't make this team, um, where do you plan on going? And I just like cocky little shit. I was like, Oh, I'll be on this team. Like, I'm not <laughs> going anywhere else. Like this is the team I want to play for. And the guy was like, what are you talking about? But anyways, he like, lets me, you know, he lets me go out and practice. And it, it's just so happens that the leading scorer on the team, I didn't know at the time had some concussion problems, but I'm out there and I'm trying to make a team. And so this guy's like, cutting across center ice and I just absolutely <laughs> leveled them and like, you know, stick flying yard sale. And, uh, 
that, you know, that guy never, never forgave me for that. Yeah, but uh, the coach sure. told me I made, I made the team right there. Really? Hey, cause that can go one of two yeah. ways. That can be the coach would be like, well, fuck exactly. That, right. No, that's awesome. Yeah. You probably just thought like this kid's out of his mind. <laughs> yeah. Right. But let's let this wild guy on the team, see what else he's got up his sleeve. He's going to fit right into the KI. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's awesome. And it's, I'm glad you were able to go have that experience because Fernie definitely has a junior hockey town. It's one of the better ones I would say in Western Canada for a junior program. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It was so fun. And like that bad disenfranchised, you know, taste I had in my mouth from yeah. Calgary was, was totally washed out. And I just had a great experience there. Awesome team, great group of guys. And we went out to win, uh, I think we won league, and then we won a uh, playoff championship. So it was just like fun to be on a, a team, be contributing again. And I mean, be winning, like that's the best too. So it was a really great experience and, and really put a positive end on what, what ended up being the end of my hockey career as a player. Yeah, no, and that's what a Cinderella story in a way, right? You go from, you know, rock bottom, I guess, a hockey career at the end of it until now you have this chance to have a reinvigorating way to end it and, you know, have a lifelong bond with those guys that, that you want it with so and then it obviously that led into the great experience at, at university and we can talk about that in a sec here with the master's program and what your research was on because now you have two sides and two perspectives of, of junior hockey that you can kind of apply to this this next venture mm-hmm. of yours yeah so I think coming out of there again didn't do too well at the transition uh it took me some time right I, yeah bit of a late bloomer. So it was like, it was actually like a year or two before I actually got into university and I was not a strong student in high school at all. So yeah. I didn't really know what I had in store for me going to university. Um, so I, I kind of just took a chance on that, that first semester and was just like, let's see if I can even pass university courses. And fortunate for me, my parents were like giving me the opportunity to fail. And, uh, you know, I had a good first semester and then I kind of started rolling. Yeah. Well, so what did you, how, it took us like, you know, that two year gap from high school to now college is you can lose your train of thought, I guess, like I'm doing right now, but it's uh, getting back into school is, is, is not easy. Right. Well, and if you're paying all that money and taking out a student loan no, to get back no, into it, you don't want to, you know, fuck it up the first time. So. No, yeah, no, it's, it's a pretty heavy, heavy, heavy thing you're doing there, especially like you're a little bit older now. Like I had been in the workforce, I had gone up to the rig, spent a winter up there. So yep. I think like that showed me that I wanted, I wanted to get an education and, uh, and, and, and it kind of sparked that, that kind of driving me is like, Hey, if you don't go and get an education, you're going to end up doing a job that you hate and being yeah. pretty unhappy. So even though I didn't know what it was going to look like in, in university for me or where it was going to head, I was just like, I got to start like walking in a direction that kind of feels like it'll, it'll work for me. And that's kind of what happened when I got into university. And it was, it was kind of slow going in the beginning. Like my first two years, I didn't do great. I did okay. Um, but there was some period of time in between my second and third year in the summer where I just kind of had like a moment with myself where I was like, what am I doing here in school? Like, what is my goal? And, and, and what do I want to get out of this? And, and I kind of came to the conclusion that like I wanted to have a career in psychology. And this is around the time that, what I'd gone through in junior and in hockey started kind of crystallizing in my mind as like, there's a need there. Like what I didn't have when I was in Calgary, yeah. man, I would have liked somebody that their job there was like to help me through that transition. And I think I probably could have been more successful and maybe that's a missing piece. So I started thinking about like the well being of elite youth athletes and what the role of like sports psychology counseling, like mental health is um, in sports and in hockey and, and that, uh, that actually kind of, that led me to take sports psychology courses and, and to dig deeper into sports psych. And, yeah. um, I mean, that, that, that first sports psychology class was a big one for me. And yeah, there was a teacher in that, of that course, his name was, uh, Dr. Luke Martin. And, uh, he now is a professor at Western, but, and I think he also played at Western and, you know, some guys you just kind of have a connection with, like we yeah. were kind of, it was almost like we were buddies and, uh, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and was like, Hey man, like you're doing pretty good here. Like, have you ever thought about graduate school and would you be interested in doing independent research? Like I I'd be willing to supervise you and I could, I could help you make that happen. Like I, I could see that for you. And I was kind of like, Holy, okay, that's cool. That's one of those moments that, again, that like kind of happened in hockey, right? Where a new opportunity arises because someone sees something in you. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he saw either. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're sleeping like, in class. Yeah. Saw something, and like I say, it was almost. It was almost like I was almost just like you know, like it was like like I say, like a hockey buddy. Like we just connected. Like I think I made him laugh a few times in class and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and uh, I took him up on that offer to do some independent research. So I did a independent study in my fourth year of university on uh, the well-being of elite youth athletes. So I essentially yeah. did a, a, a pretty a pretty comprehensive um, literature review to kind of see like what's the mental health of elite youth athletes um, across sports, across genders. Um, how do they fare? And, and what I found was a that there's very little research on the mental health of athletes, particularly elite youth athletes, and b um, that what what research is out there is that they are not immune from mental health issues, and that they do struggle to a similar degree that the general public does. And so the fact yeah. that there is this lack of research is really a gap or a hole that that ought to be filled. And and that was like for me, I'm like, okay, here's something I can do here. I can do um, some research in this area because I know now that there's this gap and I know um, of different ways that I would like to to kind of probe this area and so that kind of set me off on like my next step is like I can see like a thesis maybe here yeah. and, and building off of this independent study uh, which is what I ultimately ended up doing. No that's incredible and being able to see that opportunity right there would have been you know kind of an enlightening moment for you I'm sure as well um, but also inspiring to then you know do your own independent research to to further that and figure out where you could, you know, help where there, there's a, there's a need. So. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It was, it was like, just my, my, my kind of, I was starting to get a little direction there. I was starting to feel like, okay, I'm on, I'm on a track here. I'm, I'm, I'm working towards something and I was, yeah. it was, it was feeling good. Was it something that you saw in all of youth sports or is it kind of hockey in general that you're looking at? Well, I was looking at hockey, particularly because that's my background and that's yeah. where, you know, I, I kind of saw myself headed. If I was ever going to do work in sports psychology or if I got to do a thesis, I, I wanted to do it on hockey players because yeah. that's what's closest to my heart. Um, and there's almost no research on junior hockey players. Like there's very little, but yeah. you know, these little anchors that we have that guide us. When I was looking through the research, I found um, another thesis from about, I don't know, like seven or eight years prior by a guy named Derek Robinson, who's a sports psychologist who works with like Olympians and stuff like that. And he had gone to the University of Lethbridge and taken the counseling psychology program there. And he did his research on junior hockey coaches' views of sports psychology. And were, were, they, were the coaches like believing that it was something that was useful? Were the coaches utilizing it all? So basically his research showed that almost every coach he did, uh, his research was with uh, Alberta Junior Hockey League, I think like every coach except for one or two said they would love to be connected with a sports psychologist. They think it's needed and it would be great, but they just didn't know how that would happen or how to get connected with a sports psychologist, where to even start. So they all agreed that it was something that would be good, would be beneficial, but none of them were doing it and none of them really knew how that would look. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I can build on this because my thought there was like, okay, check coaches want it. Next question is then do the players want it? What do you think the biggest barrier was for the coaches? At that time, probably like a big part of it is like mental health literacy. I mean, we're talking now like 15 years ago. It's just like mental health in general wasn't viewed in the way that it is now in the world. And particularly in the sports sphere, like it was just, I think um, it was just, it was just in its infancy as it still really is. But um, just people weren't thinking about things like that. Do you think it was the people have this preconceived notion of mental health problems? So you like kind of address the problem versus with sports psychology, it can help in like tremendously in mental development and, you know, strengthen your mental fortitude. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not something that is a, you know what I'm saying? No, I, I, I can, I can tell what you're saying. It's like back and, and back then, I think the view was more like this where it's like yeah. compartmentalized over here is your mental health. And then over here is your sport performance. But really that, that separation isn't really real. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, if your girlfriend cheated on you, it's going to affect the way you play. Yeah. For sure. So then you take a stab at the, the player side. I'm sure you, well, I was reading some of the research that you had and it, you know, very prevalent that sports psychology is not kind of a, 
a taboo subject anymore. And they kind of people now, nowadays from a player's perspective, anyways, think they can utilize a service like that to get better. Absolutely. I mean, that was the cool thing about my research. So yeah, I set out to basically investigate uh, junior hockey players attitudes towards sports psychology. And what I found was overwhelmingly that they had positive views of sports psychology, that they were open to working with sports psychologists and that they actually believed that it could be helpful for them. So that was like music to my ears. I'm like, that's what I hoped and that's what it is. And that's really cool. And so, uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, for sure. And then you, so you, I was reading through it and you spoke to some of the coaches too. So you kind of did a little bit of further research on top of what, uh, that your kind of advisor was, was working on. Um, did those coaches kind of say similar things and what did like, what were they saying for barrier wise or were there certain people on the staff, like an assistant coach that's kind of playing that, that role of the sports psych in a way or. Well, you know, that, well, that part of the thing with, uh, with doing this research is you got to go out there and pound the pavement and phone, phone these sure. leagues. And so it started, I started at the top, right. I went to the AJHL, the BCHL, the WHL, and was trying to talk to like the, the, the top, top of the chain of the command there. And so I kind of got an idea of, of what their view was it. And, and I think it was, I think it was Alberta junior hockey league. Like I, I reached right out to a uh, man, his name is escaping me, but um, uh, Ryan Bartosz, the commissioner of that league. And like, he got right back to me and he was like, yeah, yeah. And he got right back to me and he's like, yeah, go for it. Start reaching out to our teams. So I was awesome. like, sweet. So from, for that showed me like, wow, this, this league, you know, has no hesitance here. They're really into it. And, uh, the WHL and the BCHL was a little slower story and particularly the WHL was really challenging to get on board. Um, and I mean, we could talk about that, how I made that happen, but. Yeah, let's, let's do that. But it must've been encouraging to get the Alberta junior league on board. Cause you know, your experience within the Alberta junior league, this kind of fits that yeah. exact real life example. It was, it was, it was cool. And it was also relieving because it's like, I'm doing this research, but I don't have any participants yet. And yeah. I'm in the middle of my graduate degree. So like if the AJ turned me down or the BC turned me down or the dub turned me down, like, I might not have a project here. So it was for like, sure. thank Mr. Bartoshik <laughs> for, uh, for giving me the green light. And, uh, and then, yeah, so, so then it was connecting with teams. And one of the things I found was when I started reaching out to the teams, they were very reluctant to give me any information. And it makes sense. Cause these are like, these are minors, a lot of them. Yeah. And, uh, they're not, you're not really going through their parents and you're kind of just saying, Hey, I want to ask them all these questions. And they're kind of like, mm, I don't know. Um, so it was at that point actually that I reached out to a guy I mentioned before, his name's Dan Price. Yeah. Um, at this time now he was a, when I mentioned him before, he was a scout for the Regina Pats fast forward, whatever, almost 10 years. And he's the head coach of the Victoria Royals in the WHL. Oh, sweet. Yeah. So I connect, I reach out to him via email. I'm like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me, blah, blah, blah. And he shoots me an email back. He's like, of course I remember you. Yeah. What can I do? So we get on the horn and he's like, yeah, these teams don't want to give out any player information. So yeah. what I recommend you do is you send whatever you need to send to like the manager or the coach and, and ask them to distribute it to the team. And that's what I did. And that's what ultimately allowed me to get these guys to participate. So that was, that was huge. And it's, you know, it's funny that that's the guy that it came from and, and the connection that I had to him. Um, it's just kind of that synchronicity is, is pretty funny and, and it worked out for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's always nice to rely on your network to, you know, help you in, in those circumstances. So it's, it's awesome too, how he became the head coach of a, a WHL team. So his career obviously progressed as well. He was, he, he was finding guys like yourself trying to bring them into yeah, the program. Really cool. So no, that's awesome. So I then know, you that guy had an eye for talent, man. It's, it's no surprise he made it to the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Did, uh, <laughs> did you do any, did you do any traveling or did you like go out and talk to people or was you just kind of gather online responses from surveys? Yeah, it was all, all phone calls and online. And, uh, so yeah, I, I ended up getting the AJ on board slowly, but surely I got the BCHL on board, but I really wanted to get the dub on board just for that kind of cachet of like, yeah, I mean, they're the premier junior hockey league in Western Canada. And so to have them participate in research just brings it to that next level. And I just couldn't get through to them, man. I tried, I tried, I peppered them with emails. I contacted different guys. And then uh, my uncle, I was having a conversation yeah. with him about it. And he goes, you know who you should contact? He goes, you should, uh, you should reach out to Sutter, Luke Sutter. He's like, he, I'm sure he'd help you out. And I was like, you think so? Okay, whatever. So track down his phone number. I mean, he was, he was, he was like stoked to hear from me. He's like, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds great. Let me get on the horn. 
commissioner, I think is like Ron Robinson or something like that. I said, Oh yeah, I got his number in my phone. Let me call him. Let me get back to you. And you know, about a week later at the WHL participating in my research. So hell yeah. It's about knowing someone. And that, again, guys you haven't talked to in a long time that you can call or connect with that will try to drop of a hat, you know, try to, try to help you out. So correction. I think I said Luke. I meant Rich Sutter. Rich. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering if Son, Luke. Yeah, it, was, it was Rich. Yeah. Richie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even better, right? He does have probably a direct line to everybody in the hockey world. So <laughs> get, yeah, he did. Get yeah, yeah totally. No, that's awesome. And so, so now your your work with these teams, or you have a chance to kind of work with these teams and gather research. Was it a, kind of a season long thing, or is it a, they open the email and can fill out the response? There's no like further communication, right? No, yeah, no. It's like when you do this kind of research, everything has to be so vetted and everything is so structured that these were like very specific questions asked yeah. for very specific reasons in a, in a structured way so that I could then do quantitative analysis when I received those responses and, and then get into all that kind of backend statistics to really figure out what all these, what all these answers meant. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's where we kind of found um, that, you know, these guys were so open to sports psychology. And another thing that I, I, I looked at there was um, mindset and you can see that in the name and yeah. it's kind of cool. I listened to the episode with, uh, with Jeff Malcolm. And he was saying that uh, one summer when he was at Yale, his coach had them read a book over the summer and it was uh, Mindset by Dr. Mindset. Carol Dweck. And what that mindset stuff is talking about is the difference between having a fixed or a growth mindset. So I wanted to see to what degree these guys had a fixed or a growth mindset and what the relationship was between their mindset and their attitudes towards sports psychology. And what I found was the, the degree to which guys were growth mindset oriented, the degree to which they had a growth mindset the more positive views they had towards sports psychology. So, and it makes sense, right? If you have a growth mindset, you believe that you can improve, that you can change your intelligence, your athletic ability, then you're probably going to believe that sports psychologists could help you with that. And yep. that's what we found. And then we found that guys that had more of a fixed mindset had more negative views towards sports psychology. So um, on one hand, that's interesting. On the other, it's cool because you can coach up a mindset, right? If you have a fixed mindset, that doesn't mean you're doomed to always have a fixed mindset. You can change your mindset, your approach, your beliefs. And so, what's an example um, of a fixed mindset? Cool hey, what would be an example of a fixed mindset, Rob? Did I lose you there, Rob? I'm here, buddy. Oh, sorry. What's an example of a fixed mindset? A fixed mindset is essentially that you believe when you come out of the box, when you're born, that's it. That's what you got. Your intelligence, your athletic ability, it's fixed. It, you know, you can get in better shape and you can get stronger and stuff, but you're not really going to change your core skill level, your core athleticism, your core intelligence. Yeah. And uh, you know what that Carol Dweck's research has found, if you have those kind of beliefs, it's really self-limiting. And uh, there's a big distinction between people that are successful and people that have a hard time um, with respect to their mindset, that, that fixed mindset, it just, it isn't very adaptive. It doesn't, it isn't very helpful for you. So when you have a fixed mindset and you have a setback, that's proof that you're no good. Or if you encounter a challenge, that's a reason to quit. Right. Whereas if you have a growth mindset, you believe that challenges are opportunities. You believe that setbacks bring you forward. You believe that you can change and get better and grow if you gave it the intensity and the effort and the consistency. And so, and, and it just makes obvious sense why that is a healthy adaptive belief system to, to guide you through life. Yeah. And I guess that mindset, like you said, it's coachable, right? So if you have coaches that are leading by example in those ways, you kind of, you know, follow suit in, in, in that sense uh, versus right. people, you know, if you have coaches that are very fixed on things, I'm, I'm sure that can throw you for a curveball. and, you know. Well, it's the whole culture of the team too. And, and Mel's. Yeah. That's so validating to hear him say that his coach at Yale gave that book to uh, that, that team. And, you know, we know that that team went in to win a national championship. So it speaks to the culture, the mindset and, and how that is related to winning. Yeah. Right. It verifies that exact, your yeah exact research. Right. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's awesome. And so I was reading through some of these examples and um, one of the things I did find very interesting and it kind of makes sense, but uh, the idea of going pro, right and mm -hmm. you get to the junior level and then major junior and you get drafted very small percent of the chance you get drafted 
And then of that, a small percentage of actually kids will play in the NHL at that high level. Um, there's unsigned kids that will go through and guys will sign, you know, pro deals without being drafted. But again, even a fraction of a percent. So, mm-hmm. but the flip side is 92% of people say they want to play in that professional NHL or at least professional for hockey league. So it's just it's interesting that everyone wants to do it. So that's where they're focused on, but you know, a very limited amount of those kids will actually get to that point. So then what? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, it, that, that is true. And I was kind of interested to see how many guys thought about or plan to go pro. And I, I do think that they're thinking, you know, East coast, a overseas, and maybe the NHL for a few of them. Like, I don't think a lot of those guys are thinking they're going to the show, but yeah. they definitely want to play for a longer term. And, I think that that is like a lot of our friends have done that and been successful overseas. And it seems like that's just more of a, a path that these guys see for themselves. Um, but I don't know if you saw also that what is really interesting in, in my research as well is that I think it was like 97% or 98% or 96, something really high of these kids plan to go to university. I was just going to get to like, if you look at, if you look at the research on just high school boys and how many of them think they're going to university, it's below 50%. Like it's way lower. So that's like a really interesting distinction with these junior hockey boys that they, they plan to and believe they're going to go to university. And, and what a great orienting idea to be like, I, I know where I'm going. Right. And I think that's one of the things I was missing. Like when I was in Calgary, yeah. I wasn't thinking I was going to school. I had no direction. So I didn't really have a why as to why I was playing for that team. But all these kids have a, a big, strong one. They're like, I, I'm doing this because I'm making the next step to get an education. And even more than that, these kids want to go play pro. So they're really like looking out into the future and um, either way, right? Going pro yeah. or getting an education. And, and if you get that education, so many more options open up for you. Well, here's my, my question, I guess. Um, you know, part of the major junior educational scholarship um, thing they have is you play a, a game or you play a season with the WHL. They owe you a year of education. But isn't it mm-hmm. don't you isn't that voided if you got play in the professional leagues? So if you go from major junior to the East Coast to the AHL, you basically lose your education by doing that. So it's kind of mm-hmm. or it kind of forces the kids in major junior then to look at U sports because or CIS is formerly known as. Uh, so they have to go straight from major junior to Canadian university, then to pro. Right. So it's a little bit of a different route and there's, I bet there's a lot of confusion, but then that leads to all these kids just going to avoid their, their education because they want to play pro and it's, it's a throwaway almost. So did you, what did you find on that? Yeah, that's, that, that, yeah, that, that's not something that I really like looked into too far. I'm aware of it. And, you know, just even hearing you say it, I'm like, man, that, that feels like a big flaw. That, that feels like that's not a good thing for these guys to, to kind of give them that almost ultimatum. It's like, if you want it, give your dream a chance. We're going to take away your education. Like, it doesn't make any sense when you just say it to me like that, but it's not something that I really uh, dug into. Well, cause it's sports psychologists there though. It could in that, cause I'm sure they get these ex- explanations of what that actually is with the education that they're entitled to, but they're probably not highlighting the fact that if you go play pro, like all of it wipes away. Right. So it's a loophole that WHL kind of has for, for this. And mm. I, again, I'm not too well versed on it, but I, that's from what I've gathered. That's what happens. And, you know, yeah. it's a shame. You know, I, can't, I can't really, I can't really speak. I can't really, yeah, I can't really speak to it either. But one thing I will say is if you go to the WHO uh, website, they, uh, they're pretty proud of it and rightly so of yeah. how many kids they have in university right now that are, that are going to school for free on WHL scholarships. So they have put a tremendous amount of kids through school with those scholarship programs. And I, I do think they do a lot of good, but that seems like a, not a very good, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call it, loophole or flaw in the system. Yeah, but now with COVID and restriction of traveling, it's, you wonder if a lot of these WHL players might stay in Canada and play and re- revamp that U Sports League because it is a pretty cool league. It's a great, great league, actually. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of these dub guys are playing on junior teams right now. They're loaned out. And yeah. uh you wonder if a guy like maybe that they just kind of found themselves playing junior A this year because of COVID that might change the trajectory of their path, you know, to start thinking more about NCAA or maybe even have an opportunity to talk to those NCAA scouts because they're not going to, if they just go straight to the dub. Well, yeah, well, that's a lot of those kids. Once you 
played in the WHL, you voided that NCAA mm-hmm. opportunity, mm-hmm. which is which again is a shitty because it, it pigeonholes a 15 year old to say, "Hey, yeah, I'll sign with you and play an exhibition game," and then it's voided, right? So it's right. kind of shitty. But yeah, who knows what'll happen with the? I, I hope to see the U Sports League pick up and you know be competitive again and start being a pipeline back to the pro leagues. Well, hopefully with podcasts like this, then these young guys can get educated and they can make an informed decision when they're 15 and not kind of like us where we had no idea what we were doing or where we were headed. Right. It's just kind of a wait till that landline phone rings and or someone shows up with a, <laughs> with a letter that in the mailbox and kind of go from there. Yeah. But, um, it was, I was reading through too. And, you know, obviously exactly. Was, and it, like, I mean, if, if, if some, if somebody would have told me I could have played a game in the dub, I wouldn't even have blinked I yeah. been on the ice before they even finished the sentence. So. Yeah, exactly right. Like trying to fight someone, stay in the stay in the league. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. But yeah, so obviously, let's get into that now. I, well, yeah, like with COVID, the landscape of sports in general is going to change, especially for the younger kids, right? So uh, you know, if there are younger kids listening to this, sports psychology is going to be such a pivotal resource going forward. And if there's anything that you know, is missing in the game, I would say it's definitely sports psychology. So uh, I was reading through here too, and like youth sports is the most uh, common activity outside of school um, and sports participation influences well-being. Like those are two things that obviously we know. And with the current state of everything that's happening, those two things are stripped away from these mm-hmm. kids. So what are the repercussions going to be? And what's your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Is there anything important that you would recommend kids do or parents can help with kids i mean man it's it's tough i mean this is a pretty pretty tough time to to be a young athlete i know a lot of kids are probably uh pretty choked at you know some of the opportunities missed last year i was working with a number of teams and uh the top team i was working with the the midget quad a team here in the okanagan like they were pretty heavily favorited to 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 go to the telus cup and maybe to win it like so when that season got ended early um, I had a, I had a zoom call with that whole team and they were pissed, man. Like, and, and understandably, like they didn't, they ain't getting that year back. Right. So it's, it's pretty tough to, to kind of deal with that. And, and also, you know, we don't know what this is doing to these guys development. And uh, one of the things I did say to those kids was, um, we're going into this, into this pandemic or into this time off, um, with some kind of pecking order, you know, there's the top guy, you know, the best scorer, the fastest guy. I said, when we come back from this, that pecking order is going to be rearranged. You're, there's going to be some guys that are going to use this time to develop their strength, their hockey sense, their skills, and that kind of thing. And there's other guys that are going to waste this time. And these kids, even more so than us, they are always playing, right? The year yeah. round, they're always on the ice. So you have this break now from hockey that, you know, I know you didn't want, but going back to that growth mindset, it's like, we can look at this as like a big problem and, and the worst thing ever, or it can be this like special opportunity where you rehab those injuries, you build up your strength, maybe you build up your speed, maybe you start working on sports psych um, for the yeah. first time ever and trying to develop, you know, some of these psychological skills that are going to serve you that you kind of threw by the wayside when you're too busy with practice and the gym and, and whatever yeah. else. Yeah, that's awesome. So they are. Let's let's get into that of you know working with this team and how how many how many years have you been doing that? The was the quad AAA you said or the quad A? Yeah, so it was two years, and uh, the last two years I worked with like I think it was twelve teams in the Okanagan, um, kind of all the highest level midget and bantam teams. Yeah, and uh, the way I did it was uh, I worked. I did three presentations for each team each team kind of throughout the season and I developed a sports psychology workbook that kind of went along with those presentations. And so it's basically like the, what is sports psychology? Why is it important? And then how do I actually like use sports psychology? Like what are the things that you actually do to develop your mental strength? So that's kind of what the workbook entailed and the presentations kind of um, just kind of built on that and uh, tried to teach these kids those, those kind of principles. So my work was kind of, was actually, it was twofold. It was the presentations in the workbook with the teams. And then I worked individually with players that reached out to me and, and wanted to do that one-on-one work. And That's I guess awesome. kind of to go back, it was, it was a fortuitous encounter with a gentleman named Rob Evers, 
who was running all these teams at the time. And I just kind of, I met him out one night, you know, he told me who he was. I kind of told him my background, we swapped numbers, I followed up and, and that's how I got that opportunity. And, and it was a, it was a good one because I, I got to connect with a lot of players and work with a lot of teams. Um, now this year with COVID and actually that Rob Ebers isn't working with that organization anymore. Um, I haven't been working with teams this year, still working with players individually, but uh, my focus has been a lot more on one-on-one -on -one work uh, within, you know, and within my work as a clinical counselor. Yeah. And then, you know, try to create awareness throughout the organizations that there are sports psychologists that are willing to work with, you know, these, this group of kids. So um, I, it, was it a new thing that this, these organizations brought on for that one year and was it a kind of a paid service and, you know, how do you sell the, your service to teams and organizations? I mean, that is like a strange part of it. And for me, like I went to school for whatever X amount of years to learn how to be a clinical counselor to study psychology. I did not study business. Yeah, I did not right. study Sales. entrepreneurship. Sales, right? sales, so, sales. <laughs> so I kind of like sell myself on, on like my knowledge and expertise. But then when it comes to like the dollars and cents, it's like I'm just like shooting from the hip. Yeah. So the first time, you know, he was like, yeah, I want to bring you on to work with this many teams. He's like, send me, uh, send me like uh, how much you think this, is, this, uh, this will cost us. Like send me an invoice. And I saw so I kind of like fab went up, just like kind of guessed on what I thought my presentation should be worth and what I would charge for the workbooks, yep. put that together, sent it over to him. Like two minutes later, he wrote back. He's like, good to go. And I was like, really? well, I should ask for more money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But at the <laughs> yeah. same time, at the same time, it's, that's awesome. If that a quick turnaround would have been exciting for business, your business one-on-one send an invoice. And get yeah, some it was cool. It was, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, totally. It was cool. It was cool to be like, it was pretty validating. And it was like, it was exciting and it's, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I went to yeah. school all this time and now I'm actually working with a team and, you know, I developed that workbook, which was, which yeah. was really cool. And I'd started that much earlier, but uh, built on it. And uh, so I actually got to go and like independently publish those, which was cool. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then work with the teams. And, and I definitely, uh, I definitely upped my rate the following year. Yeah, no, for sure. For what it's worth. And you know, if you add value, that's, you definitely charge what you can. So, um, and let's, so mm -hmm. in terms of so that, that is, that, that is, that is one of the challenges with, yeah. with sports psychology is that like you, in order to be in a place where you can kind of technically do this kind of work, you probably want to have like a master's degree, right? Yeah. So that's a lot of time and investment. And when you have, you know, when you work in this field, you, you've invested a lot of time and money, you, you want to make a good living. And um, oh, yeah. it's pretty hard to do that in, in the world of sports psychology, particularly in the lower levels. Like they were willing to pay me and it was great, but it was a small supplement to what exactly. I make in my, my primary profession. And, and it wasn't something that like when I, when I started doing it, I'm like, I don't know how I can like make good money off of this. So yeah. it was, it's, that's kind of one of the things I still haven't really figured out is like, how can quality people be involved with teams and still kind of be compensated because it is a big time commitment. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough position to be volunteering um, that with what it takes, you know? Yeah. And I, and I did do a lot of stuff for free in the early going. And part of that is, is cause of that opportunity I had, but as you get a little further into your career, it's, it's tough. And, you know, now I've got a kid sure. and stuff like that. So it's, it's really hard to, to give, give your time when, you know, you could be compensated a lot, a lot better uh, in other areas. For sure. Yeah. And if you can find a secondary source of income working with players and because again, that is extremely valuable, that one-on-one -on -one, uh, conversation with sports psychologists, you know, with a, with an athlete. So what's a typical session look like? And if there are parents or players out there looking to kind of employ these kind of services, um, is it something that insurance can cost or can cover or? I mean, I don't like, I don't really think so. Like if, no. if you're, if you're kind of like trying to build it as like, you're going to see a sports psychologist, um, you're, you're probably going to end up going through like your parents, um, insurance, whatever that is. Yep. And like, so for me, I'm a registered clinical counselor. A lot of uh, people's insurance is covered by that. So these kids come to me really for sports psychology consulting, but we just do it kind of under the banner of me as a registered clinical counselor and it's for sure. a bit of a workaround. And, uh, but so yeah, that infrastructure really, really isn't there. And 
for people um, like looking in their communities, like it's really like grassroots. Like you got to get online and see like, is there anyone in my community? Like, you know, Robbie Shaw, sports psychology, Google, you'll, you'd find some stuff. And, yeah. but it's, 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 it's really not easy. I, I wouldn't say and it doesn't, it seems like there's a long ways to go. For sure. And I, I would assume you agree with me too, that in order for this kind of sports psychology and you know, to everyone to benefit the athlete and the psychologists have to have a good relationship. Right. So it might take a few sports psychologists to finally find that one that you can put all your faith in. Cause again, with your research of talking about, you know, it's something that you identify with is what you feel most comfortable opening up to. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. would there be opportunities where, you know, if someone did hear this conversation or if you presented yourself online where other people remotely could kind of employ your services, is that an option? Yeah, it definitely is. And, and, and it's like, it's something that I'm open to, um, it's just with, with, with the financial side of it, um, kind of seeing that I would have to kind of build my own business. What I did yeah. was I started to, to focus more on, you know, being a, a registered clinical counselor and helping um, anyone and everyone yeah. and building up that kind of a clientele. So um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that sports psychology is kind of like um, becoming a smaller part of what I do, but it, 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 it really is because of financial reasons. So I hope yeah. that that evolves and changes over time and, not, uh, not like feeling like anything's like done or, um, you know, I, I think there'll be other opportunities for me to, to work in that field, but it's just making it happen for yourself is quite a, it's, it's pretty daunting. Oh, tell me about it. We got, we got hockey and I going on, like, right. You know, it's, but it's, so to kind of go off of that with hockey AI, this type of platform where, you know, you can connect with a registered counselor and read this read or hear this podcast you know and kind of a, if there's anything that you can identify with rob about it's something that we could pair and create that relationship on this platform right so mm-hmm. there are ways to do it which we can kind of talk about offline that i think could be a, a really good opportunity because you know we're looking at strength and conditioning platforms nutrition platforms but there's also mental health platforms out there psychology platforms that can be integrated into this platform to provide that full service uh, for player development so Oh yeah, absolutely. I would hope that, that you guys get there. And, you know, I think um, like the, having a, a physical person to talk to is one part of it, but another part of it is, is actually building psychological skills. And that's really work that you do on your own. And yeah. so that sports like workbook that I built is really designed for like 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids to be able to like read it and not like get sick of it immediately and be like, okay, I could actually like do this. So there's like simple breathing techniques to control your heart rate. Yeah. Those are things that you work on on your own or doing your visualization. There's a little guide in that workbook. You follow that guide to a T and you'll do visualization properly. Right. And you know, there's things for goal setting. There's things for, um, you know, those little mistakes you make during the game or self-evaluation. Like there's so many different tools you can use to understand yourself as a player and also psychological skills that you can develop on your own time with yeah. the right resources that are going to be what really, really helps you. Like, that help with a sports psychologist is, is nice in the moment. And there's a different kind of mental health work you can do there as far as supporting someone and, and that kind of thing. But on the other hand of like psychological skills, um, that's something that you can do with the right resources and, and, and kind of on your own. Yeah, for sure. If you have a little bit of guidance, that's all you need really. It's just someone to push that ball forward and get you going. Um, yeah. But it is nice then to have continuing, you know, presentation throughout the year to kind of keep up with it and, you know, present it keep it always in the forefront of your mind absolutely i think that that is like that is really in my mind like that's the best structure to have someone that is comfortable to be coming in there and presenting and and making those ideas interesting and captivating so that kids can kind of sink their teeth into them yeah. so that when they go home and read their workbook there's already this context and understanding and then they feel like they can actually dig into it a little bit and then that last piece of being able to be there for one-on-one and really support the kids and and to be there for more than just hockey you know to, to really yeah. like listen to the actual kid and what are they going through and what's going on away from the rink and how is that affecting how you play and, and all of that stuff and you know for me I love the game of hockey uh you know it's my favorite sport but I'm I'm more passionate about people and about psychology so you know I love to do that one-on-one work and and and, and really get to connect with the whole person not just the, the athlete yeah, I know. And it's great because I was going to talk about that. And one of the things that they said you're competent in is allowing people to understand and make sense of their past, right? Whether it's mm-hmm. good or bad, it's just, you know, presenting that 
for a frame of reference to go forward on, right? That mm. it's, it's compelling because you, you live your life in the moment, but really you have to do some reflection and um, you'll think about things and try to make sense of it. And, you know, mm-hmm. having someone guide you through that process to give you another perspective on it can really change a lot in your mind. I, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, that kind of like, I call it making meaning of your past. Right. Yeah. Okay. And making meaning that um, helps you propel forward and makes you have a kind of a healthy perspective on what your past is. doesn't mean like everything was great or everything's all sweet, but it's like, okay, this is why, you know, yep. I had to go through this and this is what I learned from that. And this is how this made me a better person. And, you know, I can create some meaning in that so that I can build on it and take these things that were maybe negative experiences and, and turn them into chances for growth or opportunities for growth and harkens back to that growth mindset again. So yeah, that, that's a big piece. And, yes. and, you know, for athletes too, creating that kind of that narrative of what kind of player they are, what, what is their identity as an athlete? Um, what is, what is being on the fourth line all year last year mean for me this year? Yep. Yeah. And it really, it's a time to reflect on the process and then you have a good positive mindset. Now, then you, it gives you a reason to believe that you can trust the process going forward and taking mm-hmm. things, you know, as they come. So. And put that past to rest, right? Yeah. Know what it is. Absolutely. Understand it. You know, you, you know where you went and then it's like, yeah, then I, now I can start like looking forward and, and, and really using those psychological skills. Absolutely. And one of the things that will always stay with me too, is my college coach always talked about, you know, if you have success today, that's great. But, you know, five years from now, are you, is that what you're going to be hanging on to? Or are you going to be doing something more to continue mm-hmm. that success and get better every single day? Right. It doesn't stop here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, it, you know, that, 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 that makes me think of a, a point with these hockey players, man, I'll tell you what, in the Okanagan, it's intense, right? Yeah, There's yeah. like all these prep leagues, like the teams that come out of here are super high level and, and it's, it can get really into this, like, it's a means to an end. Like I'm only doing this to get to some point in hockey. And that's, that's why this is, we're doing all this. And that's why there's all this pressure. I just got to get here. Yeah. And I really, you know, I say to the kids sometimes like even Gretzky had to stop playing at some point, right? Like we all hang them up and even Gretzky, you know, he had a whole other, he's still writing a huge big part of who he is of his life, you know, probably been out of the game for equal time that he was in it. Yeah. So we're, we're all going to move on past hockey as players and maybe we'll evolve into coaches or managers or scouts or whatever that may be, but it's going to continue to evolve and we're going to have to continue to bring our identity with us along the way and, and not be kind of like totally derailed. Like I was when I got sent home with my tail between my legs from Calgary and just like feeling like, all right, now I got this huge hole in my identity and my confidence is shot and I got no idea where I'm headed. Yeah. I mean, don't want kids to end up in that situation. Who, who got you through in that moment? Was it, you know, your parents kind of help you out and your brother and sister? Like my parents were definitely there for me, but I would say like, I struggled during that time. Yeah. Like it was hard for me and I didn't really feel like I had outlets. I didn't, I hadn't, someone, someone hadn't said like, um, when you're feeling like this, that's depression. Or when you're feeling like this, that's anxiety. And, and, and you can talk to somebody about it and, and that can actually make it better. And like, there was no, that wasn't even like a thought. I was just totally in my own world. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, supported great family and stuff like that, but there was probably more help that I could have got or having some kind of outlet or even just having that in your head that, okay, you know, I'm feeling like this. That's okay. There's things I can do. It'll pass. But it was really just like white knuckling it and like not really knowing where you're headed. And I just kind of was fortunate with my parents supporting me and allowing me to fail that I, that I ended up landing on my feet in university. But um, Hell yeah. you know, I, I, I think, I think it could have, I didn't have to burn so many years though. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, again, it's of the past, right? So it's, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it all adds right, up. I go, that, 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 that's part of, part of how I made meaning out of that was, was doing yeah. this research. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and now I'm, now I'm there. Now I'm, now I'm actually that guy that I felt like I could have used when I was an athlete. And so that kind of comes full circle and that's, that's how I make, make that corny meaning out of it. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That's, you, you really do have a, an awesome story that um, a lot of people could probably identify with. Right. And you you get to that junior level. It's a, it's a big accomplishment for, for a kid that wants to play and, you know, where finally get that half shield and 
to play a full season. So, and and a lot of people don't <laughs> don't progress after that too. So it's you know it's awesome to hear stories like that. yeah, exactly right. So, um, but yeah, Rob. So appreciate you taking the time, man. It's I think we could hopefully once I iron out some of these kinks in the podcast, we'll uh, be able to do it again. And maybe when you're in Calgary, we can uh, do one live, do a one on one. That'd be great, Al. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Really cool what you're doing here, and um, I've been really enjoying listening to them hearing guys' stories and stuff like that. So uh, keep it up, man. It's awesome. Great. Yeah, I mean, no, I appreciate that, Rob. And I've had a few people reach out now, especially the local people that kind of share the similar feedback. So I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I hope to bring some more uh, familiar faces and stories your way. So it's got to keep it one day at a time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Cheers, hey, Rob. Yeah, take care. Bye. <laughs>